Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. We shall pull it off with Russia. Why, we are spending millions there. And we have awfully good agents at Petrograd. I don't believe in using men of our own nationality. Our best helpers are Russians. And in England, Englishmen. Still, we got Trebich, the Hungarian so-called Lincoln, into the English Parliament, and he isn't the only one, but we do better by using the native. In England there are plenty of fools playing our game, and of course there are many to whom we are paying out good German gold. In China also we have to pay. Shang Tsung required a very big sum to restore the boy emperor, and did not succeed. Ah, but he very nearly did succeed, whereas that ass, Major Poppenheim, who tried to blow up the Siberian bridge, was skillfully got rid of by the Russians, and lots of our fellows in America have failed just because we tried to pull off the trick ourselves. We should use the material of each country. Hardial in India is an excellent agent, and we had others in Persia. Those are scattered now but we shall look them up by and by. In France we have good friends, some most able Frenchmen, though maybe rather under a cloud. You see, our German agents are not sufficiently well acquainted with the characteristics of the different nations. Would any of our men have had the wit to plead with Englishmen, as did an eminent English writer the other day, who begged them to talk over peace conditions with us on the ground that we were penitent? Isn't that exquisite? We Germans penitent? So the English expect to see the German nation performing an act of penitence, beating its breast and sitting down in sackcloth and ashes, and abasing itself by crawling beneath the yoke of contemptible exactions. The English author goes on to say that England should meet us at Stockholm, or anywhere, to talk matters over believing that if England assures Germany a tolerable national existence, mark the word tolerable, then the grateful German democracy will overthrow the supports of militaristic imperialism within the German Empire. Why do you quote such rubbish to us, growled a colonel? Why? To show you what goes down with the British. Was there ever such an idiotic people? Still, such talk is really and truly helpful to us, especially if such tosh helps to bring about a conference at which these simpletons would attend. What we want now is a conference, and that is only to be obtained by smooth words. 
by appearing to be in a chastened mood. We should make use of native talent in every country we are fighting. In Italy we have a good friend. In Russia we had the Empress, and Rasputin, and Sturmer. Today we have any number of supporters there. But why enumerate further? In England there are newspapers which you might imagine to be subsidized by us. Perhaps they are. I know we tried to buy French newspapers, so it is quite likely we have an interest in some English papers. Shall we drink, then, to our English friends? This was greeted by an Homeric laugh. We'll bring down the Britishers yet, shouted a fair-haired youth with a pasty complexion. And if we don't, our sons will. So let us drink to the next war. When I was in hospital, said a huge fellow, carrying his arm in a sling, I soothed myself when in pain by thinking of what we should do in England when we landed. I let myself imagine we were marching through Kent. I saw... Hold your tongue, Lehmann. I know what you did in Belgium, so I don't fancy hearing a recital of your daydreams. Oh, we'll kill all right, and destroy when we get there. I don't see Germans then in a penitent or chastened mood. We'll smash the English yet, yes, and enjoy doing it. But wait till we do. Let them but give us a conference. If we can talk and negotiate, we shall win. And now for the dancing girl at Hartsberg's rooms. The officers jumped up, and going to a table in the big hall, where they had deposited their weapons, they commenced buckling on their swords and pistol holders. Miss Pym followed them, and picking up an automatic pistol, which she put into her handbag, passed out into the dark streets. As she entered the park of Saint Souci, the moon appeared in full radiance, the cold glory lighting every path and alley. Miss Pym never forgot that night, as she walked gravely towards the new palace, now in the inky shadow of trees, now in the colourless moonlight herself shadowless the palace gates were shut the sentries paced the colonnade within the great quadrangle there were lights in the outer buildings but the long lines of windows were darkened miss pym made detours but saw no open gate no door ajar where she might enter returning to the great gates of the main entrance she saw the push-button of an electric bell shining white in the moonlight there was nothing for it she must ring like a visitor for quite thirty seconds she pressed the bell and saw two men accompanied by two soldiers cross the courtyard and approach the gates they peered out through the bars but seemed indisposed to open seeing no one there miss pym assumed a gruff voice and shouted in german open scoundrels and do not keep your betters waiting at once the porters swung open one side of the great gate and stepping forward looked up and down and round about miss pym passed in as four soldiers joined the astonished porters she left them quarrelling and passed along the great frontage of windows to the right of the building on the wild park side finding no entrance she retraced her steps and walked to the left wing at the farther end near an open door servant girls were larking with sentries one girl was throwing food bread and sausage at a soldier who caught it in his mouth like a clever dog 
Miss Pym brushed past them and ran down a long passage. Kitchens, butteries, pantries opened on to the passage. A leather-padded swing door led into one of the corridors of the palace. Opening a lofty door on her left, Miss Pym found herself in a long hall or gallery, lit up by the moon. The polished floor gleamed like silver, and all along the walls the moon shone on upright glass cases containing shells and minerals, which sparkled and glittered so brilliantly that Miss Pym had the impression of walking at the bottom of the sea. Everywhere she saw shells and corals and rocks, a most unexpected and truly remarkable sight. This gallery reached the whole length of the palace, opening the door at the end. She found a square hall and staircase leading up to the private imperial apartments. Ascending the fine staircase, she heard voices and doors opening and closing. The first floor was lighted at intervals by shaded lights. A huge German in a Jaeger uniform walked up and down, turning sharply as though on parade. Miss Pym watched and listened. Voices could be heard in one of the rooms which was on the soldier's beat. She paused at the door, waiting for the soldier to pass, and as he did so she grasped the door-handle, turned it gently, and found herself in the bedchamber of the All-Highest. It required all her self-possession, quickly and gently, to close the door and walk into the room, every detail of which was forever to be photographed on her brain. The room was spacious, but too lofty, thus wanting in perfect proportion. At first she saw only the bed, softly lighted by a silk-shaded electric lamp. The bed was low, immense, and very flat. Far up overhead a golden eagle held a ring in its fierce curved beak, and from the ring descended thick blue silk curtains of woven damask, which parted and drew back like a woman's hair on a white forehead. The light fell on the Kaiser, sitting up very erect, hardly leaning at all on the piled-up pillows, dressed in white silk pajamas. He sat clasping the hands of a man in faultless evening dress, a burly fellow with a golden beard and brown hair. The Kaiser looked old, but less old than she had expected. The bony frame of his face stood out sharp, leaving shaded hollows which moulded the face so that it might have belonged to a bust of anxiety and sorrow. The eyes were fierce and restless, rather bulging, and even scared in expression. The moustache was quite